Each of us can contribute meaningful change in the world. As servant leaders in a global society, it was we as sitting hall devote our hearts, minds and spirits to each day. If you are looking for a path where your passion and interest in shaping the world will be taken seriously, then this is the place for you. Take the next step and register at an information session. Connect live with our representatives at an upcoming webinar and learn more about how our customizable graduate programs can help you reach your professional goals. Please check the link in the podcast description. As we enter the sleepy month of August at the United Nations, it is the turn of the United States to chair the Security Council. A diplomacy never sleeps. I am Damilola Banjo, and welcome to another episode of Unscripted. Hi, I'm Kelly Chuku Ogo. Thanks for joining us. Damilola and I spoke with Jeffrey Laurenti. He is a member of the Hallowed Council of Foreign Relations. We discussed U.S. external affairs and its plans for its 31-day stint at the home. We also spoke with Ambassador Robert Wood, alternate representative for special political affairs at the United States mission to the UN, but he declined to speak on the podcast. You will find details of our conversation with him on the Passplay website. We paraphrased some of what Ambassador Wood told us and we added for context a clip or two from top US diplomats. Let's start with this one from Anthony Blinken. Sanctions aren't preventing Russia from exporting food and fertilizer. Sanctions imposed by the United States and many other countries deliberately include carve-outs for food, for fertilizer and seeds from Russia. And we're working with countries every day to ensure that they understand that sanctions do not prevent the flow of these items. Nope. The decision to weaponize food is Moscow's and Moscow's alone. That was U.S. Secretary of State speaking on food insecurity at the Council in May last year. More than 12 months have passed since, and the same theme is still front and center of the U.S. agenda. Jeffrey Laurenti, an avid educated public affairs analyst, tells Passblue that such topic is a backdoor channel to keep Ukraine in focus as a council. The U.S. government has identified two areas, uh, both of which have certain current political traction because the focus on famine, on hunger, and much of the developing world in the current moment can be essentially a backdoor way at Ukraine. That is uh, a backdoor way at underscoring how the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, is having all these repercussions that affect particularly in Africa, where about a third of the membership has refused to be drawn in to a condemnation of the invasion saying that that's not really our problem or not really our issue. And I think the the United States is anxious to get more and more of those governments on the program. That is, of at least recognizing from a U.S. point of view uh, that invading another country is not 
nobody else's business. That's the business of the international community that the charter was set up for. The U.S. will also be discussing human rights. America has threatened and in some instances altered payments to countries it has security partnership with over human rights abuses. Israel is one of its key security allies. Annual funding to the country has risen from 2.67 billion US dollars in 1999 to 3.8 billion US dollars in 2019. Ambassador Hood tells Pass Blue his country deals with human rights issues on a case-by-case basis. But Laurenti does not believe President Biden is likely to push back following Israel's recent attacks on civilians in Palestine. Um, so there's a huge debate going on, particularly within the American Jewish community now, and this in part is being influenced by that same uh, hard right Israeli government's effort to uh, remove itself from judicial oversight of even the most abusive actions. And that's rippling back. And the Israeli right is at risk of alienating its most important supporters in the United States, who have been uh, its protectors for these 40 years of a creeping settlement uh, enterprise into the territories of the West Bank uh, that had been administered by Jordan until 1967. Politics is not always a perfectly consistent game. In this arena, we've had two administrations that had been willing well, three, actually. Jimmy Carter, uh, the elder George Bush, and Barack Obama to press hard in the face of opposition from uh, an Israeli government. I think that Joe Biden's heart is not in that fight. And I think for a lot of American foreign policymakers, this region is a loser politically. You can't win. And just avoiding it blowing up is sufficient to get through your term without it getting visibly worse. Biden, however, is facing a government in Israel right now uh, that is hell-bent, it seems, on making things visibly worse and in pushing him into either putting up or just shutting up. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. 
GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. I just want a very brief answer to this. What is the least Biden can do to let Israel know that the U.S. is not happy? The ways that people in Israel would sit up and take notice would be if the money flow suddenly didn't happen or if fighter jets weren't delivered or if there was a big slowdown. That would get people people's attention, but it will also set off a firestorm uh, in the U.S. Congress. And right now, the entire Republican Party has decided to ally itself strictly with the Israeli side. Back to the conversation on high food prices, the U.S. open debate on famine and insecurity is scheduled to hold on August 3, and it comes at a time when global food costs are 23.4% lower than March 2022, the first full month of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization, food prices are at their lowest since April 2021. Fears arrived, though, that Russia's U-turn on the Black Sea grain deal will bring prices back up. Can we have some sort of a modification of this deal that ensures that the concerns of Russia uh, of having its uh, agricultural products flow um, freely in the global market addressed? Well, the very fact that the U.S. is scheduling at its own initiative for the Security Council a, a debate on food security and its implications for international peace and security is really the forum where precisely many of these issues would be uh, converging. Identifying what in the Russians' alleged complaints about their side of the deal not having ever been worked out to the extent there is merit to it. I don't know that there's merit to it being addressed. Uh, and hey, August is a sleepy season. Half the people around the UN or in foreign ministries around the world and in the press corps are off on vacation. You can slip through something uh, with much less criticism from pundits and politicians. Even Congress is home, so they're not there to uh, rush out their press release denouncing a capitulation to Putin or whatever. Uh, might be uh, uh, the opposition party's complaints. The United States Agency for International Development says it has provided more than $1.1 billion to Afghanistan since August 2021, but $7 billion of Afghan foreign reserve stays frozen. I mean, more than half of it is held in Switzerland. In July, Reuters reported off-record sources from the U.S. Treasury saying a USAID-funded audit of Afghanistan's central bank found that the institution was not independent of the Taliban. The other half of the money still remains subject to litigation 
from 9-11 claimants. And this is despite a court ruling in February 2023 that these victims could not lay claim to the fund. Is there a mechanism that you see where the $7 billion plus dollars which belong to Afghan's foreign reserves can be used to help Afghanistan and bypass the Taliban? At least in the near term, tapping the Afghan reserves, which the U.S. government has frozen, draining those to pay for aid to Afghanistan. The American government has been providing money for humanitarian aid as voluntary contributions. Uh, the U.N. keeps putting out the tin cup, begging for coins, begging for contributions from member states that have the means to, to provide it. I don't know whether China has gotten into uh, this kind of, of aid distribution. Uh, the Japanese have been for a while. Uh, not many others in Asia have the means. The U.S., I think, has made a respectable contribution. But the difficulty is in getting aid distributed, given that the Taliban have frustrated every UN effort to distribute it by telling them they can't have women involved in distribution or picking up food from men or, uh, or whatever, uh, that it is, it is a very difficult place in which to operate humanitarian relief, uh, given the passionate ideological uh, feelings of the people who won the Afghan civil war. Thank you. Um, you've, you've had really impressive career, foreign affairs. It's really admirable. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us. Well, no, thank you, Damilola. Thank you, Kele Chukwu. Uh, thank you. See you guys in person. That's where the conversation ends on this episode of Unscripted. We have been talking to Jeffrey Laurenti, a one-time politician and public affairs analyst that has been involved with the UN for over three decades. We explored the stalemate between Russia and Ukraine, inconsistencies with how the US approaches human rights issues, and the possibility of Afghanistan ever regaining control of its foreign reserves. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogo. Kelechuku Ogo was the producer, music was by Poddington Bear, and the editor is Dulce Leinbach. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. Unscripted is available where you get podcasts. If you liked today's show, please share it with all your friends and rate us on iTunes.